0: If you will, take your Bibles and let's study together this evening. It's good to be assembling back together on this evening worship time. Please turn with me to John 13. Let's read a few verses beginning at 21. John 13, 21. After saying these things, John 13, 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table, in his bosom, close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it. To Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then later, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. We're going to focus on Judas and Jesus for a few minutes together this, this evening. Judas and Jesus. To give a little background, the chapters of Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and Luke 22 and then here in John 13 all go together as far as the chronological time in the life of Jesus. Jesus is meeting with his disciples and they are at the Last Supper and he's instituting the the new Lord's Supper, speaking with them about that. And he reveals to them who it is that would betray him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke follow close to the same pattern. If you look at Matthew 26 and verse 14, you'll see Judas is making the deal with the chief priest about betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then you'll see later in Matthew 26 along about verse 20 and following that Jesus will predict to his disciples during this last supper that it is Judas who will betray me. And then later in the chapter Later in Matthew 26, later in Luke 22, and later in Mark 14, you see Judas coming with the band of men, band of soldiers, lights, right in the, dark, in the dark, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he comes up and kisses Jesus, because he had already to the chief priests had given a sign and said, the one that I kiss, seize him and take him away. So we want to focus this evening on Judas and Jesus. And I want to do three things with you. First, I want us to see the emotional impact that this betrayal had upon Jesus. And then I want us to see the twisted character of Judas. And then I want us to see the ultimate destiny of Judas. And this will help us to learn more about our Lord. Appreciate those good songs about Jesus that we've been singing. This will help us learn more about our Lord. It'll help us to understand how to stay away from the dark path that Judas took and we'll also be inspired to go to heaven and not go anywhere else. First of all, was Jesus emotionally troubled by the betrayal of Judas? And you can see that he is. Look right here in John thirteen twenty one. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And then he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Someone might say, Well, how could Jesus be troubled since he already knew that Judas would betray him? Now that's very true. In fact, if you flip back to John 6 and 64, John 6 and 64, you'll see that um, Jesus says, There are some of you who do not believe. And then it is said in a parenthesis, For Jesus knew, John 6, 64, Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And so someone might say, well, since he knew who was going to betray him and since he knew what was going to happen then he would not be as much uh, emotionally disturbed but that's not true because doesn't the Lord know everything about everybody doesn't he know you inwards and outwards doesn't he know you backwards and forwards absolutely he does and doesn't the Lord doesn't he know you and doesn't he love you doesn't the Lord want each of us to be saved? We know that it does. First Timothy two verse four. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And isn't God grieved when someone turns their back on Him? Absolutely, He is. These feelings that God has for everyone, He had those same feelings for Judas. Absolutely. In fact, We can underscore this in our hearts. No one has ever lost as much as God. No one has ever suffered as much loss as God. Think about that. Think about all the people who have ever lived on this earth. Think about how each person who's ever lived on the face of this earth, God knew them inwards and outwards. God loved them. God wanted them to be saved. God When they turned their back on him, God was very much grieved. He felt each of those losses, and he still does. He he feels each of those losses personally. On top of that, God sent his own son to suffer in our behalf. I again say to you, no one has ever suffered as much loss as the Lord God. That's something to underscore and emphasize because sometimes we get the feeling, well, I've lost this and I've lost that one. And I, well, stop and back up and consider that no one will ever have suffered as much as the Lord God. And it's because He knows and loves and desires our salvation, each one's salvation. And yet, as we studied the other day, we studied the, the narrow way and the broad way. So many have turned their back on him and each one that has, God felt that personally. And Those same feelings go toward Judas here. I want, to, I want us to consider, before we leave this emotional aspect, I want us to consider just how how united Jesus and Judas was in the beginning. They were. They were united in the beginning. Jesus was close to all of his apostles, including Judas. In Luke chapter 6, for example, in Luke 6 and verse 12, we read that Jesus stayed up all night and prayed. Just before he selected those 12, he stayed up all night to pray about it. He carefully selected them, and Judas was one of them. There's absolutely no evidence that there in the beginning of the selection when Jesus selected the apostles, there's no evidence that Jesus considered 11 of them belonging to him and one of them not belonging to him. No, all of them, all 12, belong to Christ. You see, Jesus always emphasized that if you're going to follow him, you follow him not insincerely but with your whole heart. Remember we read Jesus saying in Luke uh, 962. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so Judas would hear such things as that. And so when Judas decided to be involved in the ministry of Christ, he was coming at it with his whole heart. Remember this, that in Matthew's account, Matthew 10, verse one and following, Matthew's account of Jesus selecting the apostles, it says there that as he selected them, he sent them out to do wondrous works, and part of those works were, was that they could heal every affliction and every disease, and part of the works they would be doing, including Judas, was they would be casting out demons. Judas would cast out demons too, you see. This is important because Jesus would not have enlisted, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have prayed and selected an apostle who was a child of Satan. When he selected Judas, Judas was a a follower of the Lord, a wholehearted follower of the Lord. Remember the little conversation over Matthew 12, about 25, 26? The the Pharisees were complaining or they were criticizing. They said, yeah, Jesus cast out demons, but he does it by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. That's how he does it. And Jesus just used logic with them. They said, Jesus said to them, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. If I, by the power of, of Beelzebub, cast out, cast out demons, then Satan is divided against Satan and his kingdom could not stand, okay? So you take the logic of Jesus and, and use it with his selection of, of Judas. He's not gonna select Judas unless Judas is a wholehearted follower. He was a wholehearted follower. They were one in the ministry. He gives Judas the power to cast out demons because they're going to work against the the kingdom of Satan. So I want us to see just how closely connected Jesus was with his apostles, and especially Judas, and even Judas. Add to that this, that, that at the end of the three years, all the way down to the Last Supper, right before the cross, at the end of the three years, Jesus begins to say, one of you are going to betray me. And none of the other apostles suspected uh, Judas. Not at all. They begin to say, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? They, didn't, they had confidence in Judas. Okay? They, they didn't suspect that it was going to be him. In fact, who had they made, who had they selected as their treasurer in that, in that band of apostles? We know it, Judas. Judas. Judas was their treasure. They had confidence in in Judas. This shows that at least for a while that Judas was a a down-to-earth, true-hearted follower of the Lord. And add to that this, over in John 13 again, at the beginning, Jesus uh, takes a towel and a pan of water and begins to wash each of the apostles' feet, including Judas. What's he trying to teach there by washing their feet? Well, we know he's trying to teach them about love and service, love and love serves. And he's trying to teach Judas this very, very important fundamental principle in life that that if you love and you need to love, that when you love, you will serve. That That should become part of your second nature. And then this is interesting. In John 13, back to that first paragraph that we read you notice that they're sitting right there at the Last Supper. And the one right next to him is the Apostle John. And Peter motions to John and says, hey, find out what he's talking about about this betrayal uh, business. And so John leans back with Jesus and says, uh, Lord, just who is it? And, and the Lord says, well, I'm about to take this, this morsel of bread and I'm gonna dip it in this pan and the one I hand it to it's him. Okay, so Jesus takes it, dips it in the, in, the, in the pan and hands it to Judas, which means that Judas is right there close to him. Okay. So you've got John on one side and you've got Judas on the other side of Jesus. You see how closely connected Jesus is with Judas? Notice the close association he has with him. Over in John 18, when Judas brings... The betrayal men with him. He brings this band of soldiers with him. You'll notice in John 18 verse two, Ju- Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. Notice this, John 18:2. Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas had been taken to this special place, this garden. Garden of Gethsemane. He had taken his apostles there many times, and Judas was in that band. Why? Jesus is trying to teach him. He's trying to serve him, he's trying to help him. So I want us to notice this very close association. This is important in realizing the emotional impact of the betrayal. Let's go back to that idea for a second. That betrayal, how does that feel? How does that feel? We've got to remember that Jesus was a very emotional person. Sometimes he's expressing joy. Sometimes he's expressing grief. Sometimes he's expressing surprise. We know that he enters the garden. He's expressing anguish toward dying on the cross for our sins. But here's another emotion he's expressing. And he's going to be experiencing this just like many do on earth, and that is the emotion of being betrayed. We might can think of others in the Bible who, who were betrayed. I, I think right away of, of Joseph of the book of Genesis and how the, his own brothers, his own brothers left him in that pit. What must have he thought, his own brothers. I think about the Apostle Paul way over in the New Testament. In fact, there's a passage, he explains this in Philippians 1, 15 to 18, where he says, now some preach Christ in a very sincere way and they're doing a lot of good. Other, preach, other people preach Christ because of rivalry and strife, hoping to raise up affliction in my imprisonment here. Paul's writing to the Philippians and he's in prison. And somehow or another, who can ever, ever explain this? Somehow or another, there are, there are brethren who are preaching in the brotherhood of Christ who are, who are kinda glad that Paul's there in prison. In fact, they want him to stay there. In fact, they hope that his suffering gets worse in prison, okay. And what is Paul's reaction to that? Paul's reaction is, well, at least they're preaching Christ. And I'm gonna rejoice in that part. I'm gonna rejoice in that part. That at least they're preaching Christ, and, 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 and he implies he'll just let the Lord handle Uh, the other parts of their heart. Well, how does that feel? How does that feel? It's an interesting feeling because you're talking about someone that you've been associated with for years and years and years, and you work closely uh, with that person, and then it's kind of like a backstabbing. David expresses it as well as anybody in Psalm 55, And perhaps he's talking about here, we don't know, perhaps he's talking about his own son Absalom who had turned against him. But in Psalm 55 verse 12, let's notice David's words just to bring out the emotional aspect of what Jesus is experiencing. But in Psalm 55 verse 12, listen to David. David says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, If that was the case, David says, I could bear it. I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals roughly with me, David says here. He says, if that was the case, then I could hide from him. You see his reasoning here? He says, if it's an adversary, if it's an enemy, then I could bear that. I could even hide from that, but it's not that. Verse 13, Psalm 55. But it is you, it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. That's who David's talking about. And that's what Jesus is feeling as well. You might want to flip your Bible back to Psalm 41 right quick since we're in that territory. Psalm 41 verse 9, this is an actual prophecy of the betrayal of Judas. Psalm 41 9, even my... Own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate bread with me, has lifted his heel against me. Jesus will quote that in John 13, verse 18. Jesus will quote as he talks about Judas betraying him. He will quote from this verse in John 13, verse 18. Even my own familiar friend has lifted up. He ate bread with me and now he has lifted up his heel against me. Here's one thing we can know. If we ever have feelings of, betra- of being betrayed, we can know the Lord understands better than anybody. And also we can know the Lord went through this for us, for each of us. He knew this was coming. He did know early on. He knew from the beginning who would betray him. But because the Lord is so perfect, just because he knew who would betray him, that would not hold back his feelings of love and desire and compassion and service to Judas just as well. Remember, the Lord knows exactly what we're going to do too and he still expresses his love to us constantly. He knew what was coming and yet he did not hesitate. He would not, he would not, Stagger. He went on to the cross. He went through this in our behalf. Now, the second part of our lesson is to notice the twisted character of Judas. And we begin in John 12. John 12. You remember this? John 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. This is when Mary comes in and she anoints the feet of Jesus and Judas complains. Okay. Okay. He complains, this could have been sold. This expensive ointment that Mary is using could have been sold. And the price of that taken and given to the poor. But John comments for us, he says, not that Judas cared for the poor. So first of all, at some point, Judas lost his sense of compassion. This is how he started down the dark road. At some point, he lost his sense of compassion for everybody around him. This is a a very important sign that we can use on ourselves, my sense of compassion, especially toward the poor. If I ever find myself not having the compassion for the poor, then I need to stop and say, watch out. The devil's devil's working on me. John says in 1 John 3, verse 17, he says, If you see your brother in need and shut up your bowels of compassion to him, how is it that the love of God dwells in you? It doesn't. The love of God does not dwell in us if we shut up our bowels of compassion toward another. So Judas started on this road because he lost his sense of compassion. But also, standing right there in John 12, he loses his sense of honesty. Because John comments for us, not that he cared for the poor. In fact, Judas had become a thief. He would dip his hand into the treasury box. They had made him treasurer, but he had become... Involved in petty theft. He would take, when he felt he needed something, he would take money out of that box and just use it for himself. He lost his sense of honesty. How can you do that? There was a lady at, at lunch today where I was uh, preaching and, and we are having a fellowship meal. And, and she came up and says, I know where you live. I said, how do you know where I live? She said, rodents. Everybody in North Alabama comes to rodents she said let me tell you what I experienced she said, she said I was in there and I, I bought some huge items expensive items but I also bought some little two or three dollar things and she said I got to my car and I realized that these little small items were just laying there next to the big items and they, and she looked at her receipt and she said I didn't pay for these she didn't mean to so she rushed back in, and they, they were so busy, they said, don't worry about it, just take them on. And she said, no, 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 I can't do that. And, and so she stood in line in order to pay for those little items. Most of us have that sense of honesty. We, we would never want to take something that's, that's not ours. But you know, there's more than one way to steal. You can steal a person's character. You can chip away at a person's reputation by talking about them behind their back. But gossiping, that takes away from the reputation they've tried to build in the sight of the Lord. That is stealing as well. There's more than one way to steal. Judas started down this dark path because he lost his sense of honesty. But Also, he seems to have lost his sense of just dignity because he's just complaining out loud. And then there in John 12, the other disciples start chiming in too, and they start saying the same thing. Yeah, maybe this should have been then sold and given to the poor. What about that? What about that? You know, have you ever met someone who just said what was on their minds and just said it out loud? Loud, and they don't—they didn't care who heard it or 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 how they took it. That's kind of where Judas has gotten to now. He's he's just saying things out loud, and he's not really caring about what that might do to the cause of Jesus. So he sort of lost his sense of dignity and propriety. One of the huge statements about Judas and his downfall is found in Luke 22, verse 3, where it just simply says, Satan entered into Judas. This just simply means that Judas had finally given in to the influence of Satan. Judas had been thinking, he's been having these thoughts about betrayal. Okay? And what he should have done was extinguish those thoughts, gotten rid of those thoughts. That's how this works. You've got to get rid of thoughts. You know, we have thoughts that come in our mind, but those thoughts need to be extinguished fast. But he let those thoughts linger, and then they crystallized, and finally he gave in to the influence of Satan. This is somewhat described for us in James 1, 13 and 14, where where James says, Every man is tempted... When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and then when, when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished with you, brings forth death. This is kind of the same pattern that everybody follows, whoever get, gets involved in sin. This is the path of the betrayer. This is the path of Judas as well. But turn with me to Matthew 26 and really see the dark side of Judas here. If you really want to see the twisted character of Judas, and he wasn't always this way. This is the sad part about it. Matthew 26, but he, what has happened? What has happened? Well, you see here in Matthew 26, 14, one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me? If I deliver him over to you, and they paid him 30 pieces of silver, there it is. Now later, notice from verses 20 through 25, they're having this conversation. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And one after another of the disciples says, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And then look at verse 25. Judas also said to him, Rabbi. He said, I, and Jesus said, you have said so. You say, what's so bad about that? Well, Judas now has gotten to the point where he's sort of mocking the situation. He already, he's made the deal. He's back up in verse 14. He's already made the deal. He knows what he's going to do. Jesus knows what he's going to do. He knows that Jesus knows what he's going to do. Now he's at the point of just kind of parroting what they're saying. He's kind of playing along He's, he kind of he kind of looks at this as being funny, you know. The other saying is it I, is it I, and he all, he knows who it is, and he's kind of looking down, and he says, "Well, I'll just say that too, Rabbi, not Lord, Rabbi, is it I?" That's what I think, anyway. Maybe I'm not maybe I'm not reading this right, but I remember Psalm one, verse one: "Blessed is the man who walks not in." the... Counsel the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. I think Judas is sitting in the seat of the scornful right here. I think, I think he's already done the deal. Satan's already entered him. He's already made the deal. He, he's looking for an opportunity. Okay. When you read through Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, that's the phrase that keeps coming up again and again. Now after Satan has entered him, he's looking for an opportunity to, to betray him. And now he's made the deal and now Jesus is talking about what's about to happen to him. Others are wondering, and he kind of finds this funny and he just begins to just repeat what they, they were saying. So we notice the twisted character of Judas. And now finally this evening, his ultimate destiny. In John 17 verse 12, Jesus refers to Judas as the son of perdition, the son of perdition, or another word would be son of destruction, son of destruction. Son of because it is Judas himself who has carved out his ultimate destiny. That's the way it is for everybody, in a sense. We are carving out our eternal destiny. In fact, there in Acts 1:25, as, as they're working it out, the apostles are working it out to replace Judas with Matthias. Peter remarks and says, "Judas left the ministry and went to his own place." Okay, we know that Judas had killed himself, and now he's gone into eternity, and he's become a son of destruction. That's not heaven. He's become a son. And this is a place that he has carved out for himself. It is, he owns this place because it's his choices that has brought him here. In fact, right there in John 17, 12, Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, Father, of those that you have given me, these 12 that you've given me, I have lost none of them except this one, the son of perdition. Now notice how Jesus refers to to Judas as lost. I've lost none of them except the one who betrayed me. The ultimate destiny of Judas is is, uh, easily seen. But to finish this off, notice the words of Jesus Matthew 26, I'm going to begin at 22. They were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Notice verse 24. The Son of Man goes as it has been written of him. In other words, Jesus is saying it was prophesied that this would happen. I knew this would happen. So the Son of Man goes, as it is written of Him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. I believe that could be said of anybody who turns their back on the Lord. Not just Judas, but any of us. Any of us that that start down that, that dark road of betrayal or the dark road of unfaithfulness, it will have been better. And we'll have an eternity to think about it. An eternity in darkness and pain to just simply yell out, I wish I had never been born. I wish I had never been born. It would have been better. This is the Lord saying that. It would have been better if he had never been born. Hopefully, we can see that Jesus truly knows what we're going through. Hopefully we can see that Jesus took on all sorts of pain to go to the cross. Physical, yes. Emotional, most definitely. Hopefully we can see that he is the one that we turn to if we ever have any valleys of of doubt or despair. Hopefully we can see that when we begin to not be as compassionate and not as honest, not as dignified, when we begin to take lightly the influence of Satan, we must, hopefully we can see that that is a very dangerous path and that is an occasion to stop and examine ourselves before the Lord. Hopefully, we can be inspired to not want to go to that place, that place that you'll wish you had never been born, and not want anybody else to go as well. In fact, if that is not our desire, then something is terribly wrong right now. Something is terribly wrong if this does not inspire us to do more for the Lord and to draw closer uh, to Him, Jesus and Judas. The Lord's invitation is always open. As we said this this evening more than once, He knows us, He loves us, He desires our salvation. He is grieved if any of us turn our back on Him. Let us come home to our Lord right now as we stand together as we sing.